could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever. Alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we're going to be talking football because that's what we tend to do. So we're going to start off with some big questions that we have from some things that have just made themselves relevant lately around the league. And the first one, we had three defensive ends of a really high caliber get traded to teams that are seemingly trying to make a little bit of a push right now. We had Yannick Ngakwe go to the Ravens for a third rounder. We had Everson Griffin go to the Lions for a conditional draft pick. And we had Carlos Dunlap go to the Seahawks for a seventh rounder and for offensive lineman BJ Finney. So Logan, first question of the day, out of those three guys, which one will have the biggest impact on their new team? Um, I'm going to say Carlos Dunlap. Uh, I would say in Gawkaway with how already stacked this Ravens defense is. I know he improves them, but I think they would be great regardless of having Ngakwe on the roster. And I don't want to undersell the Griffin move either. The move is a huge grab for Patricia and the Lions. Uh, he really solidifies their pass rush with Trey Flowers and a uh, really solid season from Romeo Okwara so far. Four sacks on the year. Uh, but I don't think the Lions are going to win enough games to make this a really relevant move. Um, Dunlap has really been extremely underwhelming this season. Only one one sack and four QB hits in seven games, but that's because he really hadn't had anything to play for. Um, why should he rush the passer when the corners can't hold anybody? Uh, with the Seahawks, he has a chance to win games and fill the only role they need, pass rusher. They have the fourth lowest sack percentage in the NFL. Uh, he's always been extremely consistent. I think his career low was his sophomore season where he had four and a half sacks. Just last season, he had nine. Now, I'm not saying he's the same pass rusher he was in 2015 and 2016. Do I think he's going to rack up double-digit sacks? No, but he's going to at least force quarterbacks to get rid of the football faster and force some turnovers for a Seahawks secondary that really hasn't been that bad. Bad this season. The Seahawks defense has allowed a lot of yardage, but they've been really good at forcing turnovers when they needed. And I think Dunlap uh, will expedite that process play in, play out. And um, guys like Ryan Neal, Shaquille Griffin will be able to make a lot more plays on the ball with he get with him getting to the passer. And of course, to win a Super Bowl, you have to have a pass rusher. The Seahawks don't have to worry about that when playoff time rolls around. I think it's interesting because I think that there's a case to be made for each of these three guys and you can look at Dunlap and say he's joining a miserable pass rush on a team that is going to contend. They have nine sacks through six games, but I just don't think he's going to change that in a big way. I like picking him up. I think that it was something that the Seahawks had to go do, try to get some guy from this market, but he doesn't change the game and the fact that Jamal Adams and Benson Moyoa are tied for the team lead in sacks. That, to me, speaks to the lack of a pass rush that he, as one man, cannot fix. And you can look at Everson Griffin and say he helps solidify this run defense that ranks 23rd in defensive DVOA there and a pass rush that has just eight sacks for a team that, at 3-3, three and three has playoff aspirations. And that's a big deal. And I really like that aggression from the Lions as well to go out and get that guy. But, to me, the one who stands above the rest is the best talent joining the best defense in a position of need. And that is Yannick Ngakwe, who is absolutely disruptive right now with five sacks in six games. The Ravens are obviously great defensively against the run and the pass. Now I think that they probably have the best defensive personnel in football. And if you were going to look at one unit for them last year and say, maybe it could improve. I would have pointed to the edge rushers as much as they blitzed. And although they did get after the quarterback with a certain degree of success, Judon was leading the pack with nine and a half sacks. They didn't really have that other intimidating force there. Now you have Judon, Calais, and Ngakwe. I think that this is a move, Logan, in part for the Kansas City Chiefs because if they can get pressure against the Chiefs without blitzing, we know that this Ravens defense loves to blitz. They do it just about every time out. But first time around against the Chiefs, what did they do this year? They blitzed Mahomes like crazy. And what did Mahomes do? He burned them because that's what he does every single time. Now, it's not like there is some cure-all, some sudden formula to beat Patrick Mahomes because if there were, every single team in the NFL would be restructuring their roster. But if you can get pressure with three elite pass rushers and have your really great secondary and strong linebacking core hold it down in coverage, then I like your chances a little bit more. So I think Ngakwe, considering where the Ravens are headed, considering how he plays into that specific matchup and that he's just the best guy of the three to me, makes him the biggest factor. Yeah, I think you bring up some good points with uh, guys like Judon McPhee and uh, Ngakwe. Uh, do you think that this is a move that I get that it helps them defensively and get to Pat Mahomes? Do you think they can beat the Chiefs one on one with how their offense has performed against them? Well, I'm certainly not going to bet on it, but I think that this gives them a better chance because 
this puts them in a position where they are no longer at a significant disadvantage in coverage, and you cannot be at a disadvantage in coverage against the Chiefs with these weapons and that quarterback. So, speaking of great quarterbacks, we have another question that was inspired by some incredible play from this past week. Are Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins the best quarterback wide receiver duo in the league? Uh, personally, I would probably lean towards Matt Ryan and Julio Jones just because of longevity. But uh, this connection has really been special to start out. Uh, four 100-yard games this season, Hopkins has had seven or more targets in every single game. And uh, even crazier stat, Carson, DeAndre Hopkins is accountable for 38% of Kyler Murray's passing yards so far this season. And he leads the league in catches and yards. Um, but, but DeAndre Hopkins was the best weapon that Steve Kime could go out and get for a young quarterback like Kyler Murray. When, whenever Kyler sees single coverage, like you saw in all the highlights this week with him smiling and just chucking up to DeAndre Hopkins without his hands even on the laces of the football, whenever he runs out of the pocket and needs a receiver to throw to, uh, whenever he's hurried, he has a guy that he can just throw up and there's a shot that it's going to be a completion. You saw that's why Deshaun Watson had been so successful. You don't look, I know the Texans have had a really tough start to this season going one and six, but the reason that they haven't won in many games is because of a loss of a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. Deshaun Watson doesn't have that bailout target that he can rely on play in, play out. Um, personally, I don't think they're the best duo out right now, but with how they've played, if you guys if you give these guys the rest of the season, they could very well prove me wrong. Um Murray has been red hot already, uh 2,200 total yards, 20 total touchdowns. Um, with his capabilities as a runner outside of the pocket, I think defenses could play QB contain and Hopkins could be wide open with the personnel. They have to switch over to compensate for this dominant rushing attack in Arizona as well. Um, I put them top three. They could very well be number one by the end of this season. So let me ask you then, because I went all the way down the line with this. I took this question very literally. Are they number one? You say that they're not number one. Who would you have above them league wide right now? I would have Ryan and Julio Jones. Uh, again, longevity. They just got a personal connection. Um, outside of that, the list is really short. I don't know if there's anybody outside of Ryan and Jones. Who would you have up there above them? So, I went down the whole list. I started with the best quarterbacks. So, you have Mahomes and Tyreek. Tyreek's fantastic. He's not on D-Hop's level as a receiver. Disqualified. I sort of was valuing the receiver a little more than the quarterback in this equation. I don't know why, but that's just how I went about it. So then you have Russ in a locket or Metcalf. I don't know if either of those guys as a single force are elite enough to qualify as great as DK has been, as unbelievable as Lockett just was in the last week. He's not a top five receiver in football. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Adams leads the NFL in yards per game right now. Has four touchdowns in four games, catching 78% of his targets. There's a case to be made, but it's not a case I'm going to make. The guy is 1,000 yard season in his career, and I don't think he's comparable to DeAndre Hopkins. Then you go to the elite receiver side of things. You have Michael Thomas with Drew Brees, but Thomas isn't healthy right now, so I don't know if he really counts. And Murray, to me, is definitively better than Drew Brees at this point. So then we get into the real final matchup, which to me was Kyler versus Matt Ryan, DeHop versus Julio. I think both these matchups are close. It scares me too much to say that anyone is better than Julio Jones, a guy whose lowest receiving total since 2012 is 1,394 yards in a single season, and he missed a game that year. He's just on pace to be maybe the greatest receiver of all time. And then you look at Matt Ryan, who is playing fantastic. It is an even year, so we know he's going to be efficient and relatively dominant. But I think that even with the seven picks... The 20 total touchdowns for Kyler is unreal, and the way that he commands the game, his mobility, his destructive playmaking, then when you consider D-Hop is also that kind of number one target with 57 catches for 704 yards, I have to go with them. I think that Kyler's the better quarterback. I think Julio is slightly still better than DeAndre Hopkins, but it's close enough to where I think the gap between the quarterbacks is a little bit bigger. And if you have an issue with the interception numbers, like you just said, uh, they're kind of skewed after the Detroit Lions game where he threw three picks. The Lions got a lot of pressure on him. He seemed really hurried. Only four picks in the other six games. So, yeah, I, I think there's a really good case. I did forget about Rodgers and Adams. I don't want to upset the Packers fans here. I would also probably have <laughs> Rodgers and Adams above them. But um, top three for sure. Uh, do you think at the end of the year, are they definitively the best above everybody else? It's tough to say because what if DK goes off and has 1,400 yards and then maybe it's more about Russ, but it's certainly a lot about DK as well. 
I don't know if there's going to be clear standings here because there are so many studly duos at the top. And Tyreek, we know, is potential of going for 1,400 yards at any given moment. So Michael Thomas might come back and average 140 yards a game, for all we know. And then maybe Breeze isn't quite on that level, but he certainly looks better when he has a guy out there getting him 140 yards every single game. So I'm not going to act like I have a definitive picture in my mind, but they will be in that conversation. And Kyler's progression has been unbelievable, man. To come from a guy who was supposedly not going to be a football player, was going to go play professional baseball, to now in his second year being a clear top 10 quarterback in football, it's a pretty unreal development. To go on the opposite side of things, with someone who is historically pathetic, or I should say a group of people, and a group of teams. Logan, is this year's NFC East the worst division of all time? No, I'd give that distinction probably to the 2014 NFC South, um, and that's just because we've seen a full season out of them. The uh, This division is not fully out of the woods yet. Um, that 2014 South 22-41-1 combined record, they had the number one uh, pick. Tampa Bay went 2-14 and 14 that year, worst team in football. The Saints also had the 31st-ranked defense, but in the past decade, the NFC East, I think, has definitively been the worst division in football. Uh, overall, 2019, they were horrendous last season when we saw the race come down to the Eagles and Cowboys in 2015, when I think the nine and seven Redskins came out on top because of Kirk Cousins, you know, the, you like that, all that mess. Um, as I said, they're not out of the, um, the woods whatsoever. The two and five football team, in my opinion, is the best team in this division. And I think Ron Rivera is fully committed to making the playoffs. I, um, I was wrong. I think he did make the right decision in replacing Dwayne Haskins. If he's trying to win games right now, simply put Kyle Allen just turns the ball over less. I don't think he can win them a playoff game, but I think he can win this division with Washington's defense. They're fifth in defensive DVOA. They have 22 sacks, six in the NFL. And if you take a look at the rest of the teams, I'd say Philly has a chance at winning the division just because they have the best quarterback. Um, but their line is just as bad as Dallas's. Um, and as for their defense, Dallas is 30th in defensive DVOA. Mike Nolan, you're on my official Red Foreman list if you catch my 70s show drift there. Um, and speaking of 70s guys, I think Daniel Jones needs to call up Lester Hayes to put some stick on his hands. Five fumbles, a uh, game-losing fumble against the Eagles the other week. And sticking with New York, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, guys. You're going to have to invest way more in the offensive line again this offseason because Andrew Thomas has severely struggled on the left side. I mean, everybody has beat him in every game so far. So that being said, yeah, they really do have the potential to be the worst division in football. If they end up with a 6-10 and 10 or somehow, some way, I don't want to see this as a football fan. A five and eleven team wins a division. They will be definitively the worst in NFL history. Uh, man, there's some potential. I don't want to see it though. Redskins, go win. Uh, excuse me, football team, go win eight games, guys, please. There's no way that happens. There's no way the football team wins eight games, and uh, that's just the matter. That's just the fact of the matter. You talk about Kyle Allen not potentially winning them a playoff game, like that's some sort of bold take. Yes, Logan, <laughs> I don't think that Kyle Allen will be winning them a playoff game this year. So I went through the historical context here. You brought up the 2014 NFC South. They are a honor, they're an honorable candidate. But I will point to the fact that they at least had a three-team race at the top with the 7-8-1 Panthers, the 7-9 Saints, and the 6-10 Falcons. Three talented rosters at the very least. We remember most of the guys who were on those teams. In some ways, for the Saints and Falcons, not that different from what they have going today. Some of the core guys were the same, obviously, less so for the Saints than the Falcons. I look at the 2010 NFC West which had the Seahawks at 7-9, and nine, the Rams at 7-9, and nine, the Niners at 6-10, and 10, the Cardinals at 5-11. and 11. And I can also look back to the 2008 NFC West, where you have Cards at 9-7, and seven, Niners at 7-9, and nine, Seahawks at 4-12, and 12, Rams at 2-14. and 14. So here's the math. Every division each year is guaranteed at least 12 wins because they all play each other that amount of times. The lowest win total a division combined has had in the 16-game era is 22. The NFC East will be halfway through the season with two wins outside of their division and nine total wins. And that is guaranteed because these teams are all through seven games. Washington and the Giants play each other in their next games. The Eagles and the Cowboys play each other in their next game. So that's a guaranteed two wins and a guaranteed zero more wins outside the division. So you're on pace for 18 wins. The lowest ever is 22. Outside of the division, these teams combine point differential per game is minus 10.2. That's on par to be basically the worst team in football or right around it every single year. The division leader in the Philadelphia Eagles, 
minus 4.7 point differential. And if you look back at historical teams, the Panthers, yes, they were sub 500. Also, they had that incredible run to end the season, but they were minus 2.2. The Seahawks of 2010 were minus 6, but the Rams were minus 2.4. The Niners were minus 2.5. The thing with this division is the Cowboys were going to be their savior. That was going to be the reason that they weren't the worst division of all time because the Cowboys were going to go out and put up 30 a game and win 10 games. And although their defense made it pretty clear that they weren't going to be that good early on, I still think they would have won the division with a healthy Dak Prescott slinging the football like he was. And obviously the offensive line injuries make that harder, but they were just going to outscore every other team here. And so now it comes down to a race between these four measly teams, I think you can knock the Giants right out of it. I think you can knock the Cowboys out of it, considering their health situation at the quarterback position. I think the Eagles are the team. Outside of NFC East opponents, they play the Browns, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and Cardinals, though. I'm not sure they're the favorite to win any of those games, so I think they're probably going to win the division at 6-9-1, and one, but the football team plays the Lions, Steelers, Niners, Seahawks, and Panthers. I don't think they're the favorite to win any of those games. So... I don't think this, this division winner gets to seven games, which is completely unprecedented. And Wentz, to me, <laughs> he's going to do it again. He's going to somehow will this terrible roster by being just good enough to the playoffs, and they're going to suck, and it's going to be ugly. But look at what he's doing right now. It doesn't matter. They could be playing the worst team in the world or a pretty good team. He's going to get them right to the final moments, and he'll either win it for them or he'll lose it for them. We've seen it against the Giants, and we've seen it against the Ravens. But against these poor NFC East opponents, no one else compares as far as constructing a game-winning drive. And these are going to be some close, ugly, gritty games between these teams. And I think it's going to be play within the division that decides it because none of them are really going to beat teams outside of the NFC East. So you think that Washington is the team to beat. Why not Philly? I just think Washington has a supreme defense. They've got the best pass rush in the division with the Eagles, with their beat-up offensive line, with the Cowboys, with their beat-up offensive line. The football team are going, man, I hate saying it. Come on, Washington's <laughs> going to put pressure on every quarterback they play because of, uh, I think Montez Sweat has um, a ton of sacks this season. Uh, Matt Ioannidis, before he got injured, was playing really good football. And I think the I think the football team have been so smart in drafting. They got Allen, they got Chase Young, they got Montez Sweat. They took the, you know, the 49er route when they had all these top draft picks, and it's paying dividends in this terrible division with these bad offensive lines. I just think they're going to rush the passer better than anybody else, and they're going to cause chaos. You saw what happened to the Cowboys last week. They only scored three points. They hounded uh, Dalton. They hounded um, Ben DiNucci. Three sacks on DiNucci in, you know, in a very limited uh, field out there. Uh, they do have a tougher schedule than I think everybody else in this division. I just trust them to play gritty, hard-nosed possession football if Gibson and um, Barber and McKissich can hold on to the ball down there in the backfield. I think they can just not let the other team hold on to the ball and play good defense. What's fascinating is, in my opinion, after all the talk that we had at the start of this year about how bad Carson Wentz had been, and I came on here and defended him, you defended him as well, and then it kind of only got uglier from there, now he is, to me, the guy who determines this division because if he plays at the level he's capable of, he brings as one man, and this is crazy because he's an average quarterback and hasn't been playing like that lately, he has more firepower than any other offense in this division on his own. And he will win his team close games in a way that no one else in this division can, and I do think that that really matters. So let's look at a division that is on the absolute flip side of the NFC East because it's fun to look at these divisions as a whole when there is such an incredible contrast. We talked about who's going to come out of top on the NFC East, Let's rank the NFC West teams one through four because there's talk with the new playoff format of all four of them making the playoffs. That will not happen. They very well may be and probably are four of the seven best teams in the NFC West, but the schedule's too tough when you have to play everyone else in your division two times, and especially with the start that the Niners got off to when they had their easy stretch of the schedule and didn't capitalize. Let's start from the bottom at number four and work our way up. Who do you have in the last spot right now in your power rankings? I do have the 49ers at the last spot in my power rankings. Um, they've been really solid the past two weeks. It'd be ignorant of me to ignore it. Uh, they stifled Cam Newton and managed to uh, beat the Rams as well. But there's just a little part of me that has a hard time forgetting that two-pick blowout that the Dolphins handed the 49ers. And without Solomon Thomas and Nick Bosa, uh, some injuries to their secondary as well, it's just going to be tough for their defense to hold 
the offensive firepower in the rest of this division. If the 49ers were healthy, I'd probably have them at number two. And it's crazy impressive that they're four and three with a team this beat up. But to me, the injuries capped them out. And outside of games against Washington and Dallas, every game is 50-50 for me the rest of the way. They've got a really tough schedule ahead. Um, I think they play the Packers, um, the Saints as well. I want to get it officially. Yeah, they play the Seahawks, Packers, Saints, Rams, Bills, Cardinals, and Seahawks. That's just a tough schedule to finish out with how ravaged this team already is. So I think they come in last in this division, and it's going to be really competitive. I think they still finish at 7-9, and 8-8, eight and eight, somewhere in there. But I think uh, with injuries, with how tough their schedule is, they are uh, definitively the worst team in this division. I remember looking at this schedule before the season and saying the Niners, as good as they are, probably have to go 5-1 and one to make the playoffs over their first six games because the schedule is so brutal after that, and they obviously didn't do it. The blowout loss to the Dolphins, the loss to the Eagles, that basically made me feel like the season was over. And I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs because they play seven likely playoff teams in their last nine games. That's just ridiculously difficult. But I do want to give them credit right now because I think you're right. I think they finished last in the division, but... I have them above the Rams in my current power rankings because they're still a top five scoring defense. They're eighth in defensive DVOA. That rushing attack is completely dominant. It could be Jeff Wilson. It could be Raheem Mostert. It could be whoever's going to be healthy. If it's Jarek McKinnon, if it's what's his face, Jamichael Hasty, any of those guys are going to run the football effectively with this zone scheme. And I think that they're just a better team on both ends than the Rams. The Rams have a lot of similarities. They're a really good football team. They're dominant running the ball. They're efficient passing. They're very good defensively. Their pass rush is obviously completely dominant. But I have questions about their defense versus the run. They're 18th in DVOA there. And I just don't think that they're quite as good of an all-around team as the Niners. And I think we saw that on display a couple weeks ago. Now, similar weaknesses at the quarterback position similarities as far as having the offensive genius as a coach who's sort of trying to scheme around that because both teams have some great weapons. And that, to me, is part of the biggest thing with the Niners. With Ayuk and Debo just completely dominating and Kittle healthy again, they just seem like they're on a different level. And yes, of course, the Jeff Wilson loss hurts, but also, earth to everyone, Jeff Wilson's monster game was not as much about Jeff Wilson as it was about the fact that you can insert any fast running back into this scheme and they will dominate. So I have the Rams at four and the Niners at three. Who do you have at three? I have the Arizona Cardinals. Um, I think they have the second best division or the second best offense in this division behind a team like Seattle. Uh, I don't think they can uh, look. I'll give them their credit for beating the Seahawks in OT. Uh, they should have beat them in regulation uh, if Cliff Kingsbury had made the right decision to just kick the field goal after the Buda Baker interception. Embarrassing. I'm tired of seeing coaches make that call. But. Uh, Firepower wise, I like the Cardinals rushing attack. I just like Kenyon Drake a little more than Chris Carson because of his uh, fumbling issues, although Carson's look solid as well. Uh, and I like the Seahawks passing attack a little more because they have more weapons in a guy like Lockett and Metcalf. I think Hopkins is the clearly the best receiver out of that core, but um, the depth there isn't as great as the Seahawks. And uh, I'll give the Cardinals a little more credit on their defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, they are 10th in points per game, and they are 9th offensively. I think this is a well-rounded unit, but uh, I could say this about the Rams, too, and you're going to flip when you hear who I have number one, Carson. No way. Uh, not really a crazy schedule thus far. I Yes way. I think the Cardinals wins are, or the Cardinals uh, points per game are a little inflated by games against the Jets and Cowboys. We're going to really see their medal these next few weeks. Dolphins, Bills, Seahawks, Pats, Rams, a tough stretch here that is really going to uh, thin out the race here in the West. But yes way, Carson, I'm going to make this case uh, after I get to my number two team. I am frankly speechless and I cannot wait to get into it. I think that the Cardinals have to be at the number two spot for me when you consider that they have answered every question that we had about this team. They're top 10 in defensive DVOA with, in my opinion, and we talked about this earlier, the best quarterback receiver duo in the league. They've beaten the Niners and the Seahawks. They have a fantastic all-around roster, all three levels of the defense, weapons-wise on offense, and Kyler Murray is uh, clearly a top 10 quarterback in football. So when I compare that to the Niners or the Rams, both of those teams have superior defensive units, but I think the Cardinals' offense is clearly a cut above. And when it comes to winning time, if it's a final drive, Murray is so far above Jimmy G or Jared Goff, in my opinion, and both of those guys will, to a certain extent, hold their teams back. Yes, maybe they're average, they're middling, they're not going to turn the ball over an exceptionally high amount, but they put a ceiling on teams that otherwise 
could be potentially Super Bowl caliber rosters. And the Cardinals are very much on the opposite side of the spectrum in that they have a really good roster, but without Kyler, they are not at this point. I'm going to go with the most impressive talent out of that group in Kyler Murray and a defense that I think has really impressed. Number one, I want to have this conversation, but I guess number two for you will lead into number one. Tell the people why you are Bobo the Clown. <laughs> I've got the Seattle Seahawks at number two because there's only two things that I think the Seahawks do better than the Rams. They force turnovers. The Rams only have eight. The Seahawks with a bye week have 12. Shaq Griffin, Ryan Neal, Quandre Diggs with two picks. KJ Wright, a forced fumble and two recoveries. And the Seahawks have a better quarterback. I may be slightly overvaluing the Rams as you say, Carson, in your opinion, as four of their five wins have been against the NFC East, but I just like their personnel better. The Seahawks defense is dead last in opponents yards per game. They're 24th in opponents points per game. And yeah, I understand in the modern era, we've had this conversation a lot on the show. Um, Defense does not mean nearly as much, but I just can't put my faith in a team with a defense this poor. I think the Dunlap trade does change things slightly and can potentially help force more turnovers on the back end. But regardless of offensive output, this defense is atrocious. The reason that I have the Rams at number one, simply put, they're stronger in the trenches. They have the number two pass blocking um, offensive line in football. They've only allowed eight sacks. Aaron Donald has eight sacks of his own on the defensive line. And Leonard Floyd and Michael Brockers have been great at getting at the quarterback. They're third in sacks. And this is really coming off the... um, uh, and I, this is really coming off of the Chicago game. I'm sold on this defense way more than the Seahawks. They shut down Chicago. And yes, Nick Foles is a quarterback. The Chicago offensive line isn't nearly as solid. They sacked him four times. He threw two picks. He didn't have any time to throw the football. And when he did, there was a Ram ready there to punch it out of the receiver's hands. I don't care that they lost to the 49ers, Carson. I don't care that they only scored 17 on the Giants. The Rams are strong in the trenches. Their offense, uh, when they have pass blocking, when they have run blocking up front, the Rams have it this year. They have been a great team. The last time this Rams offensive line was this good, they went to the Super Bowl. I think that people aren't looking at how good this offensive line has been in getting Jared Goff and these wide receivers open and getting Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson open running lanes. I think you're a fool for having them at four. When the Rams win this division, when the Rams win a playoff game, I want you to come back on the show and I want a formal apology. I want you to put it in my P.O. box, Carson. I want it live on the show. I think you're Bubbo the Clown for uh, for not having the Rams up any higher. <laughs> First of all, I think the Rams are a really good football team. I said that on both ends. I think that they have consistent, efficient offense that they can rely upon because they don't need Goff to go out there and sling for 300 yards every time. I just think that maybe four of the 12 best football teams happen to be in the same division. But here's what you're missing, Logan. You're so caught up on defense. When you score 34 points per game, it doesn't matter what you allow on the other end. Yeah, maybe you're not going to win the Super Bowl that way. But you're going to win 12 games if you put up 34 a game. I've gone through the historical precedent. Go back to the Falcons team that made the Super Bowl. A poor defense, but they scored 34 a game. That's just the precedent. That's how it's always gone. You can go back to the 15-1 and Packers team, a below-average defense, but they're scoring 30-plus a game. That's all it takes. When you have a guy who's on pace for 59 passing touchdowns in Russell Wilson, this team easily could have beaten the Cardinals, and the fact that they lost in a shootout to me is not discouraging because you know what it showed me? That it took three Russell Wilson interceptions, a called-back game-winning touchdown, and all of this craziness for them to not win a game against a really good football team in which they still put up 34 points. I will not come on here and argue the value of the Seahawks defense. I don't think it really exists. And I think that that starts with just the inept pass rush because outside of that, it could be a good unit. The linebacking core and secondary are certainly capable, but it starts at the front where they have just been inept. But I don't think they compare. And I think that if we see a Seahawks-Rams matchup, it would be interesting because of the chaos that obviously Donald and Leonard and Brockers unleash on everyone they face. But I will remind us that Russell Wilson may be the least affected by pressure of any quarterback in football. He's been running around like a wild man behind terrible O-lines for years, facing great defensive fronts within the division and beyond that, and he has never been phased. So when you have a guy who is, as far as regular season purposes, probably the best player in football, I think Mahomes is still slightly better than him, but... He is not carrying the same load with the same intensity that Russell Wilson is right now at by far the most important position. I'm going to bet on that. And I think that it is sustainable, as crazy as it sounds. They're a flawed team, but their one unit is so much more important than the other. 
Go ahead, say something, Bobo the Clown. I don't know what you, I don't know what to say, man. You made you you made some really good points. I can't argue any of them because you're exactly right. They needed the three picks. They had to have everything had to go wrong for the Seahawks offense for the Cardinals to win that football game. Man, I feel like I'm trapped in 1980 and 1990 waiting for some defenses <laughs> to make some big plays. It's, it Listen, we're not going to use the cliche. We're not going to say offense wins games, defense wins championships. But you do need your defense to step up in a series or two to win a championship. And we will see if the Seahawks can do that. But they're going to continue to put up points at this level for the entire season. So one last question here, and then we'll get into some more segmented talk. We have three teams right now all of whom's names start with B, all of whom are 5-2, and two, all of whom have negative point differentials. The Bills, the Browns, and the Bears. Who is most likely to make the playoffs out of this group? I'm going to immediately double back on my uh, defense take uh, for this segment. So, you know, just wipe that from your memory. Uh, nice. <laughs> I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I'm completely out on the Browns. Uh, not to be redundant, Baker Mayfield's average. The defense allows over 30 points per game. Uh, although I do see a world where the Browns make the playoffs because of how easy their schedule is, how easy every team in the AFC North schedule has been this season. Um, I, I still like the Bills better because of their offensive output. I've seen the Browns get shut down by the Ravens, by the Steelers. Sure, they can put up points against the Bengals. Who cares? The Bengals stink. Uh, the Bears' defense is really good. They've got a great pass rush, but without a pass-blocking O-line, uh, the Bears got exposed against the Rams. They cannot pass-protect up front for Nick Foles for this team to win football games. They can't put up enough points to win football games, especially against offenses like the Packers or the Vikings in their own division. The Buffalo Bills... Well, you can have your criticisms coming off of two losses against the Titans and the Chiefs, and then not really the offensive output you were expecting against the Jets. Uh, to those points, I would say they still move the ball on the Titans, a really good defense. They still move the ball on the Jets, despite having to kick six field goals to win the game. Also, shout out the Bills for that. Tyler Bass got me my first fantasy football win. Um <laughs> uh, the Bills offense is just simply better. I don't think there's a better quarterback wide receiver tandem between these two teams than Allen and Diggs. Yes, Mayfield and OBJ have had their moments. OBJ and, uh, or excuse me, Mayfield and Landry have had their moments. But you give me Allen, Diggs, uh, Singletary, and Zach Moss, I just think the Bills have a better offense than these two teams. They're going to put up points regardless. Also, I think their division is worse than these other two teams' divisions. The AFC East, while the Patriots and Dolphins have been competitive, doesn't compare to the AFC North or the NFC North that the Bears and Browns are trying to fight between. Look, it's Bills by far. They're in the weakest division, as you just mentioned. They lead by one and a half games, which is an advantage they do not have because the Bears are second in their division. The Browns are third in their division and are going to be scrapping for that wildcard spot. I also think they're the best team of the bunch. You mentioned the offensive dynamism. To me, the question is, does the pass rush, which came alive last week when they had six sacks versus the Jets, is that sustainable? Because that has been what's holding them back. They have been getting gashed, first of all, in the run, which has actually been a problem of this team over the past couple seasons. They weren't even great against the run last year, as fantastic as their defense was. But they also haven't been able to generate pressure, which even without that one elite guy, they have been successful in in the past. Past Right now, Jerry Hughes is starting to look like that one guy. He is coming off the edge with some fire, and he may not have the sacks, but if you look at pressure rate, I believe he's leading the NFL, and it makes a lot of sense when you watch the guy play football. So, if that pass rush comes alive, stays at this level, which I don't think is insane to say because they did pick up talent, they gave some up in Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, but... Bring in a guy like Mario Addison, A.J. Epinesa, who got to the quarterback for the first time of his career this past week. I think they'll be an elite football team if they can figure that out. The Bears are frauds. Negative point differential, although that applies to all of these teams, but they're 26th in offensive DVOA. <laughs> Your boy, Nick Foles, who you came in and said was making you feel better about them, is sitting pretty at six touchdowns, six interceptions, averaging 16 points per game since that miracle Falcons win. He can't do it for a whole season. You have to throw him in in some situation where he just has to make something insane happen. It could be a Super Bowl run, or it could be one game against a team that loves blowing huge leads. But he's not your starter for a full year. And then the Browns, I still think, are going to be a playoff team. But with Baker at quarterback, with their defensive woes, I can't put them above the Bills, who I just think are the better football team. And to your point about Nick Foles, this offensive line is so bad, Carson. I didn't expect I'd be saying this through a few weeks of Nick Foles. Mitch Trubisky might be the better option at quarterback just because he can run out of the pocket and move. Nick Foles, I mean, the Rams were getting to him in two seconds. He didn't even have time to set his feet and make throws. This Bears offensive line is bad. And 
it, Foles has proven in the past that if you give him that offensive line, he can win you football games. He won a Super Bowl behind a great offensive line. He made the playoffs behind a great offensive line in Philadelphia when they weren't injury riddled. But uh, with this Bears line, yeah, there's there's too many issues, and he doesn't move dynamically enough to really make a difference for this offense. All right, so that's going to do it for the five big questions we had to start things off. Let's break things up here with our favorite segment, Award Tour. I will start things off with the Future Almost Goat Award, which goes to Julio Jones. I talked about it a little bit earlier. 584 yards in six games this season, which by him has felt like a relative disappointment somehow with the injuries with a couple down games. 96 yards per game in his career. Second all-time is Michael Thomas at 86.4. There's a nice 10-yard margin between him and second place. At 31 years old, 22nd all-time in receiving yards. Outside of Jerry Rice, I think that he might end as the best receiver ever, and we do not appreciate it enough. He is as consistent of a force at the position as we've ever seen, and he proved it again last night. Randy Moss. Uh, All right, our next award I'm giving out is the Slim Shady LP Award, Um, and I'm giving that to the Dallas Cowboys offensive line for not giving a single you-know-what for Andy Dalton's personal safety and not coming to his defense after one of the dirtiest hits I've ever seen by John Bostic as Dalton is sliding. Uh, Former Virginian and JMU grad Ben DiNucci takes over at center this week against Philadelphia in his first NFL start. The Deadly Viper Assassination Squad Award goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a Kill Bill reference, and if you haven't seen the movie, you're just not going to get it. But by acquiring Antonio Brown, they now have all these assassins, all these weapons, but I fear the revenge element. And again, you're not going to get this reference at all. I fear the Beatrice kiddo who's going to come back and kill them all. It could be Aaron Rodgers, who they thought they had dead after that dominant win. It could be Russell Wilson seeking revenge on Brady after the Super Bowl. Yes, the Bucs have all this higher talent, but maybe things fall apart. Maybe someone comes back to get them. Uh, for the second time this season on the show, I'm giving out the Chuck Norris Roundhouse Kick Award, and I'm giving it to the same team, the Atlanta <laughs> Falcons, for showing us how to choke once more as they allowed the Detroit Lions, fellow choke artists and fellow losers, to march 75 yards and score a game-winning touchdown in the last minute of their game after Todd Gurley inadvertently scores a game losing touchdown i've got chuck on the phone right now he's coming to see um the new head coach with another spinning kick to the throat as we speak at least they won last night and so now they're sitting pretty at two and six when they could be five and three go falcons the future is now and it is fantastic award goes to what we saw in that seahawks cardinals game because obviously people maybe might give it something more generic like game of the year but If you look at the dynamics, we have two undersized, incredibly gifted mobile quarterbacks, both as throwers of the football and as runners. Murray throws for 360 yards and three touchdowns, runs for another 67 and a touchdown. Russ throws for 388 and three touchdowns, runs for 84. I don't think we've ever seen quarterbacks on both ends dominate through both the air and on the ground like that. It's a 37-34 overtime shootout. It is such an awesome embodiment of where the sport is right now where the best quarterbacks for the foreseeable future are going to be able to do it both with their arms and their legs, and it's going to be a high-scoring sport, and I love it. The final award is the Unemployment Line Award. I'm going to give that to Adam Gase for managing to lose a game against the Bills where they had a 10-point lead, and the Bills didn't even score a touchdown. And they missed two field goals. Absolutely embarrassing. Uh, I recommend you make a LinkedIn account, Adam Gase. Yeah, he really needs to get on that. All right, so there's award tour. Let's get into over-under now. Pretty self-explanatory segment. We throw out a number. We say if we think it's going to be over or under for this coming week. Let's start with Lamar Jackson. Over-under one and a half interceptions versus the Steelers. Um, I'm actually going to take the under. Uh, Last time they played out, the Steelers absolutely hounded Lamar with the pressure we put on him. Uh, We hit him six times. We racked up five sacks. While I think this time we can get similar pressure to Lamar, the Devin Bush injury really hinders the chances of Lamar throwing two interceptions. He had an interception against Lamar Jackson in their last meeting, but also he QB spied Lamar nearly every play, and that was the reason that we could shut him down. I don't. I, I like Rob Spillane. He showed me uh his. He showed me the medal of him with that big Derrick Henry run stopping uh, hit in the middle. It takes a grown man to hit that hole, and at six foot two twenty, he knew he was going to have to get in there and hit him hard. Spillane's a good tackle. He's a good run stopper. I don't think he's the same athlete as Devin Bush. So you're just not going to see that dominant QB spy and stopping that we saw from Devin Bush in the last meeting. So I don't think Lamar carves us up because of our pass rush, but I also don't think he throws two picks. 
I think this is an easy under. And I knew you were going to bring up the three interception performance versus the Steelers, which was probably the worst game Lamar has played in a long time and the most uncomfortable he's looked. But in 16 regular season games since then, he has thrown three interceptions total. He doesn't turn the ball over. And they will put pressure on him to beat them through the air, probably. He's not going to be comfortable running the ball down their throats. And they're not going to have that early lead against the Steelers. And obviously, they will bring pressure on him with that elite pass rush. But I don't think it's enough to force multiple turnovers from a guy who really doesn't do that very much at all. Boston Scott, over under 75 yards versus the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, if Miles Sanders was healthy, I'd say this is an easy over uh, with his performance in the last few weeks. I'm still going to take the over. Uh, the Cowboys have allowed over 100 total rushing yards to every team except for the Giants. And while Boston Scott hasn't had a breakout game yet, I don't really think it matters. Um, everybody has walked, ran, passed, scored, whatever they wanted all over this Cowboys defense. I wouldn't be surprised if Carson Wentz had a 300-yard passing game as well. Uh, this Cowboys defense is far and away the worst in the league. I expect Boston Scott to have his first 100-yard rushing performance this week how could I go under you say that they've allowed over 100 to every team but one you know what they're allowing over the last four games on the ground 216.3 yards per game 200 plus to three of their four opponents now the Eagles haven't exactly been a run heavy team although Sanders as you mentioned has been great when he's been out there but you gotta think even they can probably get an early read against a third-string quarterback and a terrible defense and a beat-up O-line and then just run the ball down the Cowboys' throat now. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if somehow the Cowboys go up 17-10 or 17-3 and Wentz has to lead a heroic comeback so the Eagles actually don't run the ball that much. But when you think about how terrible the Cowboys have been specifically against the run, you just have to hammer the over here no matter what. Okay. I said that like these are actual over-unders that you can bet on somewhere. They aren't. Logan just came up with them. Jimmy G, over-under 300 yards versus the Seahawks. Um, I'm going to... I'm sorry, that was funny. The Seahawks have played... Um, played every game close, which is why I think Jimmy G is going to go over. Um, their 13-point victory over the Falcons is the largest margin of victory. Matt Ryan still threw for a lot. I think if this game is close, Garoppolo will be throwing the ball deep downfield. Um, the Debo Samuel injury is a little concerning because I don't know what weapons he's going to go after. Uh, Brandon Ayuk has looked really solid um, at the start of the season, and George Kittle has looked solid as always. But uh, if this game is close, Garoppolo is going to be throwing the ball late, potentially maybe another OT again. Every game with Seattle is close. Uh, I think Garoppolo goes over. Uh, the Seahawks have by far the worst pass defense in the NFL. But I will say, the way this stops, the way they don't let Garoppolo go over 300 yards, if they can force some interceptions. Also, I don't see this world where it works out if the Niners get an early lead. They could run the ball down their throats because the Niners still have a dominant rushing attack when they want to with the blocking up front. Uh, I'm still going to take the over, though. The Seahawks, mm, stinky. I'm going to go over as well. Jimmy G is averaging a very modest 202.4 passing yards per game this season. But you look at the Seahawks defense and it's a pretty good run defense. And as you mentioned, an absolutely miserable pass defense. I think it's going to be close. I think the Niners probably will have to throw the football. But I also don't trust Jimmy to do that particularly well. I think if there's a couple worlds in which this happens, number one, the Niners go down big and Jimmy sort of starts racking up some garbage numbers and gets over 300. Or... Maybe it gets into an actual shootout. I just think if the Niners can trade scores with the Seahawks, they're going to want to do that running the ball. So I'm interested in seeing how that plays out. I didn't feel great about that one, but I did go with the over. Let's get another one in there. Titans over under one and a half sacks versus the Bengals. Dude, I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to say over, but wow. The Titans pass rush has been horrible. They're two biggest signings. Uh, Jadavian Clowney and Vic Beasley. You know how many sacks they have on the year? Goose egg. Zero. They have not gotten a single one. Um, uh, <laughs> Burrow's been sacked a league leading 28 times for two football field lengths, 203 yards. The Bengals line only held Jacksonville to less than two sacks. Um, I, I'm going to go take the over here because of how bad the Bengals offensive line, but I am in no way confident with that take because the Titans pass rush has been horrible. I'm going to go over as well. You have a unit that has seven sacks on the season with the Titans versus the worst offensive line ever that has allowed 28 sacks in the Cincinnati Bengals. It's so many David Carr vibes there. And I think that Burrow is obviously going to survive because the dude is a warrior. But God, it sucks. Clowney is questionable to play. 
And as you mentioned, no sacks on the year, but he's due for one at some point. I think Harold Landry is a really good pass rusher who hasn't really consistently gotten that pressure off the edge as much this year, but I expect him to find success against this kind of O-line. It's an uninspiring group, no doubt, but the Bengals literally have not held anyone back, and I think that the Titans still get over one and a half. They're not going to wreck them, but I don't know. Sometimes offensive lines are far more important than the quality of the pass rush. Look at the Jets versus the Bills just last week. It's a Bills pass rush that had really struggled, but they got six sacks because the Jets suck and the Bengals O-line sucks just a little bit more. Speaking of New York football teams, Giants over under 14 points scored versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think this is the easiest one that I came up with. I'm taking the under. Bucks are first in defensive DVOA. The Giants are 30th in offensive DVOA. The walking turnover, Daniel Jones has 12 on the season. Uh, this game isn't going to be close. I think Tom Brady and them win by 30 to 40. And that's basically been what they've done the past couple weeks. You look at these two units matched up against each other. Giants average 17.4 a game. Bucks allow 20.3. I'm not sure there's a better three-level defense than the Bucks out there or a worse all-around offense than the Giants, and that includes the New York football Jets. Now, it's very close, but with Denzel Mims coming back, there's a little more spice in that. Darnold looked good for a half of football last week and then looked terrible. He's probably going to be done after this year. You've been saying that, that they're going to go out there and get Trevor. I've been holding out hope that maybe in a different situation, but... Every single time I watch him play, he's just missing throws. He's missing reads consistently. And there's a certain degree to which you can't separate that from the situation. But also, when a guy just messes up time and again on his own merits, that's got to be something against him. Let's talk about another young quarterback who is coming into a more optimistic situation, also in the AFC East, Tua Tungo-Vailoa, over under two touchdowns versus the Rams. Um, I'm going to take the under. I, uh, you know, I just spent a few segments hyping up the Rams pass defense. So it'd be a little foolish of me to go take the over here. Um, Dak Prescott, one touchdown week one, Wentz, Jones, Smith, and Allen, and Nick Foles were all held to zero touchdowns and they threw picks. Uh, QBs with decent O-lines have been able to score on LA. You see Josh Allen, you see Jimmy Garoppolo, but teams without one have struggled. I know a few weeks ago, I hyped up this Dolphins offensive line. I'm hoping that they stand tall, but a Foolish mistake by them. They've moved Jesse Davis from right tackle to left tackle. I don't really like the move personally because Davis had been dominant on the right side. But um, I think against Brockers, Floyd, Ramsey, and Donald on the backside, this is a tough performance for a rookie quarterback. Uh, just a tough defense to go up in your first matchup. I don't expect two touchdowns. I think maybe one. I think the Rams, for the most part, hold them in check. I'm going to... I want to say that he'll have exactly two. I hope he goes over. I'm going to take the under, though, just because... I think the game plan for the Dolphins is to run Miles Gaskin at them as much as they can because it's not a great Rams run defense. And I don't think that the Dolphins are going to go down big in this game at all to where Tua has to go crazy. It's a good Dolphins football team, and it's a very good situation for Tua to be coming into right now. Obviously, I want to just get sort of a little bit of an elaboration from you on your general thoughts. How does the rest of this season shake out for Tua? Are we talking about the Dolphins as a potential playoff team at the end of this? And... Is this a rough debut for him? Because he is going up against a top three pass rush in football to kick off his career. Uh, I, really, it's gonna. I'm gonna need to take this week to see what Tua um, does to really get a gauge on what to expect from the Dolphins the rest of the season. But I think personnel wise, dude, I am a closet Dolphins fan, man. I really like their roster. Uh, defensively, I think their secondary is elite. Um, Xavier Howard, I think, has what four interceptions this year. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, Byron Jones has been great on the other side. I just like their defense in general and how they've been able to keep people in check for the rest of the season. Though it's not the easiest schedule, but it's also not extremely hard. They got the Rams and Cardinals. Um, and they've got a couple easy games against the Jets and Bengals. I personally. I think I would take the Dolphins over the Browns to make the playoff. Or no, I won't, because the Browns have a much easier schedule. I think the Dolphins are more talented. I think eight and eight, and potentially a third wild card spot, isn't out of the realm of the possibility for the Dolphins. And I think I'd pick them to make the playoffs before the Patriots. I think you have to. I think they're the better all around football team, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have the better quarterback. I think that Tua is going to be special in this league. I think we're looking at one of the best quarterbacks of all time, one of the best quarterback classes of all time down the road with what we've seen from Herbert Burrow and now what I think is en route from Tua because I really like all three of these guys individually. Okay, let's wrap things up here with our weekly power rankings. I want to do 10. I don't think we're going we're gonna to have enough time. Let's do our top seven, Logan. Does that sound insane to you? Who's your seventh? <laughs> no, 
Uh, I got the Seattle Seahawks. So, well, I made that big elaborate case about how the Rams were better. Still right now, the Seahawks have to be higher on my power rankings. Uh, this offense has not slipped. They've been consistent every single week in, week out. I've got the Rams right behind them. I have the Bills at 9, the Cardinals at 10, if you also want to round out your top 10, Carson. Um, Seattle's at 7. I've got them behind teams with better defenses. That's what holding them back. I think all six teams above them have comparable offensive production, but the Seahawks defense will hold them back, and uh, that's why they're at 7. Their offense is probably top 3 in the league. You want to know how many teams above them actually have comparable offensive production? Zero, because they have the best offense in football. <laughs> okay, I'll just run through my 10, 9, 8. I have Bills, Niners, Cardinals. The Niners will fall, but they've been so convincing over their last two games. I wanted this one week, because they're going to be 4-4 four and four after this week, probably, because they play the Seahawks. This one week, I want to acknowledge what they're doing, and also while they were briefly healthy, because now Debo's hurt again, and it's just going to go south. 7, I have the Titans. I think that this is a really good all-around football team. They were impressive in defeat to come back from 27-7 down to then lose by a 45-yard missed field goal at the last second to a team that is clearly one of the best in football, the only undefeated team remaining in the Pittsburgh Steelers. I still think their formula works. I think that Tannehill was really impressive in showing that he could sort of guide a comeback. And yeah, they were still running Derrick Henry a lot down the stretch, but he had to make some big throws. He was really pivotal on their first scoring drive that kept them alive in that game. Their first scoring drive after they went down 27-7, I should say. So I think that their formula works. I just question their ceiling compared to each team above them who have more dynamic single units to me, the more explosive quarterbacks. Number six, who do you have? I've got the Tennessee Titans. You really hit it right on the head. They played a great second half against Pittsburgh, and this tough defense uh, really changed my mind because after the first half, I was thinking, oh, man, the Titans suck. We're exposing them for what they are. No, and you're right. Ryan Tannehill, his numbers may not show it in that second half. He had to make some really tough throws to get them back in that football game to just try to kick that field goal. Uh, they played against another tough team in the Bills and blew them out. Um, they've had some really good offensive scoring outputs against the Jaguars and Vikings. I think... This defense does hold them back a little bit, but uh, if you play an undefeated team that well, you're still a dominant uh, all-around squad. I completely agree, which is why I would say a single result shouldn't get us off teams' trains like the Seattle Seahawks. I'm just going to hammer that all day. I love the Seahawks, man. God, I love Russ. Okay, <laughs> my number six is the Green Bay Packers. Kind of a similar situation, except they actually had a really concerning performance two weeks ago against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but a convincing response versus Houston. Rodgers was incredible again. I think that this is a great two-way football team with a top-five quarterback in football and weapons that when Aaron Jones is healthy, which I believe he is supposed to be back this week, although even Jamal Williams looked incredible, Devontae Adams is playing out of his mind right now. It's a great all-around football team. Let's get into the top five. Who do you have in the fifth spot? I've got Green Bay at five. Uh, I, I like how close we've been. I'm assuming you've got the Seattle Seahawks at number one, you nerd. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you bring up uh, Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, you're not stopping this offense unless you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously a concerning game, but you have to think the two turnovers factor in. This offense hasn't had a turnover in any other football game. If the Green Bay Packers, in my honest estimation, if they don't turn the ball over, I don't think they can lose. So uh, I think they have to be in anybody's top five. Packers are going to make the playoffs. They're going to make a postseason push. This is an elite team. Well, they're not in my top five, and I don't think they have to be because... I have the Baltimore Ravens at five, which to me is just the more elite two-way team. They have a huge game versus the Steelers coming up, and I think that this is going to show us a lot about both of these teams. Although, honestly, I think what it's just going to show us is that they're two great football teams, and no matter what the result is, I think it's going to be a close one. I think Lamar's not going to have another MVP campaign, but obviously still a great quarterback, and this defense to me inches closer and closer to being the best in football every day. The Ngakwe deal is is significant because now they are a menacing front and the linebacking core has always been there. The secondary has always been there. I'm scared to play the Ravens if I'm anyone right now. I wouldn't be surprised if they still finished 13-3 and and honestly might not win the division at that because the Steelers and Ravens are two of the best five teams in football. Yeah, uh, I've got the Ravens at four, Carson. And as you mentioned, a lot of people are... Uh... A lot of people are quick to say, I think, when you bring up the uh, Ravens, that they aren't built to beat the Chiefs. That's because you have nothing else to poke at them about. The Ravens, the reason they are such a dominant team is because they're strong in the trenches. It makes them even stronger with Campbell and Ngakwe. And a guy who is criminally underrated when bringing up Lamar Jackson, this rushing attack with Edwards, Dobbins, Ingram, it's Ronnie Stanley. He's the best left tackle in football, and he makes, he makes this offense work. He's the reason that Lamar can dance around in that pocket and move around. 
you say they're a top a uh, top five uh, talent wise in football, Carson. I think this Baltimore Ravens squad, after the Ngakwe trade, for my money, has the most single talented locker room in football. There's certainly a case to be made. My number four is a team that probably does not qualify in that conversation, but I've made my stance on them clear. I have the Seattle Seahawks. They should be undefeated right now. I guess I can't say that they should, but they very nearly could have been. And you can point at the slim point differential, the close margin of victory. All I would say is I will direct you to last year's results when the Seahawks won 10 of their 11 games by a single score or whatever. There is a legitimate factor to having elite quarterbacks who gut out every close game for you. Russell Wilson, to me, is the single best representation of that that we have. And also, when you score 34 points a game, you're going to win 12 games no matter what. That's just how it comes down. There is no defense bad enough to make it where that is not true. Top three, who is in the bronze spot for you right now? Uh, number three, uh, I've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Bucs have proved me wrong on every criticism I've had on them. They are plus 80 in point differential. This offensive line has picked it up in recent weeks after um, a really bad performance against the Bears, which I think may be the reason that I'm so up on the Bears. I might need to reel that one back in a little bit, but I criticize their young secondary. Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis have proved me wrong week in, week out, um, and the rest of their defense is awesome, too. We talk about them every week. David White, De- uh, Devin White had one of the best individual weeks last Last week, um, man, I hate seeing the Buccaneers with Tom Brady being a good football team, but uh, easily top three. I think that Super Bowl aspirations are on the rise. I think Tampa Bay, talent-wise, top three roster in football. I think that their response to the disappointing result versus the Bears have been has been as convincing as possible. I have the Bucs at three as well. The 38-10 thrashing of Green Bay may be the most impressive single defensive performance I've ever seen. The 45-20 win over a really good Raiders team. And as all-in as I am on the Seahawks offense, and I kind of wanted to have them above, the Bucs are scoring 32 a game with the best weapons in the league, with Brady balling out and with a top-five defense. I wish I had gone more all-in on this team in the preseason because I predicted they would win 11 games, but I went through some weird mental gymnastics in my head, and I was kind of hedging my bets. I was like, okay, I'm going to give the Saints the tiebreaker, although I also have them going 11-5, and and I shouldn't have done it. This is a fantastic roster. The linebacking trio of White, David, and Barrett, honestly, I think is one of the best groups of all time. When we consider what Shaq Barrett did last season and the level that White and David are playing at right now, it is all-time special. So, they have to be here. They might end up being the best team in football, but I couldn't put them above either of my top two teams considering the season-long resume they have had, whereas the Bucks have had a couple more bumps and bruises to this point. Who do you have in the runner-up spot? Uh, the only other team that I think has a better front seven than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Two of the top 10 pass rushers and the number one pass rusher in the NFL. TJ Watt leads the NFL with 23 pressures. He's fifth in sacks and QB knockdowns. Dupree is seventh in QB pressures with 17. He's 12th in sacks. That's without mentioning Tewitt and Hayward, who are both top five interior D linemen by Pro Football Focus. And while this offense isn't the killer bees from 2016 or 2017, as I've talked with Peyton T. Gallagher on Run It Up, and he's brought it up to me, I think this offense might be a little more sustainable. Ben doesn't have to sling the ball deep downfield as much, and he's not being forced to take shots, although he certainly tried last week by forcing that ball into triple coverage to Juju <laughs> in the end zone. <sighs> um, but Ben can run this Brady-esque uh, nickel and dime offense and still win games because of the reliance he finally can have on this defense. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers at two. We're really going to see how this shakes out uh, with the top four after the Steelers-Ravens game. I have them at two as well. Can't put the undefeated team as convincing as they have been lower than that. Through a half against the Titans, they were unreal. And then a couple tough offensive series. But sort of what I talked about with Russ, they survived their Ben game. We know it. Ben always has one game a year where he's going to throw three or four picks. Maybe it's just two this year because he has been limiting those turnovers more. And I think there's the case to be made the Bucs are better right now, but I'm not going to move the Steelers down until they lose. The weapons are working. The defense is balling. I'm all in. Do you have any concerns about a little bit of wild man Ben showing up out there? Dude, I've seen Wild Man Ben too many times. He breaks my heart when he tries to... And I see it. You can see with the... Carson, on that play to Juju in the end zone, Deontay Johnson is running a drag route, and we could kick a field goal and go up by six, and yet he forced that ball in there. I also would like to clarify, though, Ben technically only threw two interceptions this game. Yes, he threw three, but one was at the end of the first half on a Hail Mary, so it doesn't really count, but Ben just has got to get these games out of his system and then get back to regular. You're right. But listen, they survived, and he only had two picks through the first 
however many games until then. So I think that he has embraced his role and he's doing better in it. Okay, number one, I have the Kansas City Chiefs because of Patrick Mahomes and this offense. Anything else you would like to add to that? No. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here today. Then we are, as always, coming out with three episodes a week. We did a top 10 tight ends episode this past Monday. We did a Southwest and Southeast division preview for the NBA off seasons on Wednesday. We're coming out with a trivia time episode on Monday. And if you have not listened to that yet, then I cannot recommend it more highly. If you want to just learn about a little sports history and watch us have a lot of fun together. That's going to do it for us here today. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, on Instagram at nerd sesh. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.